Hello there. Thank you for downloading our message. It is our desire you grow in the mastery of the word and the power of the spirit as you listen. Be blessed. Amen. We thank you, Lord Jesus. We thank you. We continue tonight on our series on apologetics. So we began last week, yeah. We began last week by taking a look at um, the foundation for evidential faith. We said faith in God doesn't have to be irrational. Faith in God doesn't have to be just purely emotional. That we can present a logical argument for the faith we have in Jesus. You know, it makes sense. It really does make sense to believe in Jesus. Okay? It's not, it's not just hype or it's not a myth. Okay? These are real stuff that can be verified. You know, for example, you know, um, doing, doing some reading last week, yeah, I found that, you know, um, even amongst the, um, the, the historical, the historical society, you know, the, the, the elites, the, the academia of history, yeah, that's the word, and philosophy, they all do agree that Jesus was a real person, as in, he is not a myth, or just, just a story, okay, they all agree, okay, even, even among their props, they all agree that Jesus Christ actually did walk the earth, he was a real person that walked on the face of the earth, okay, so these things are, are not just fables, they're not just stories or myths, they are actual things that, you know, that can be reasonably verified by the unbiased, Okay, so when we know these things, we are better able to present our faith and to defend it. Okay, we, we should not begin to let them bully us. Okay, to make us think that that believing in God, you know, is um, emotional, is irrational, is anti 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 intellectual and all that. Okay, believing in Jesus actually really makes sense, and we can show, you know, that it does make sense. That is why we are going through this apologetic series to show that it really does make sense to believe in Jesus. Okay? So we go further tonight to show with to show proofs for the existence of God. Show proof for the existence of God. We want to show that God really does exist, okay? The proof of the existence of God. Okay? So using three arguments, or maybe four. Okay? Number one, we'll look at creation, and now creation points to the work of a creator. Okay? They will also look at the fine-tuning of our universe, the fine-tuning of our universe. Another point to the work of a fine-tuner. Right? We'll also look at design in biology, okay, and DNA to show the work of an intelligent designer. Alright? So, Let's jump in. Now, when we are done with this, we will see for certain that it, it actually makes more intellectual sense, more, more, more um, evidential reasoning to say there is a God than to say there is not. We will see that it actually makes much more intellectual sense to believe in the existence of God than to be an atheist. Okay? Awesome. So, let us start. Let's open to Genesis 1, 
from verse 1 to 3. It says, in the beginning. Look at that. Very, very important. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. Now, the earth was formless and empty, and darkness was over the surface of the deep. And the Spirit of God was hovering over the waters. Verse 3. And God said, Let there be light. And there was light. Okay, we also see Hebrews 11.3. By faith we understand that the universe was formed at God's command so that what is seen was not made out of what was visible. Okay, by faith we understand that the universe was formed at God's command so that what is seen was not made out of what was visible. Awesome. Now, the, the, um, the most commonly um, scientific view for creation, for the creation of the universe, okay, is the Big Bang. Okay, so science, you know, um, proposes that in the, in the Big Bang, that everything in the universe came from nothing at a fixed point in the distant past. Again, Big Bang cosmology proposes that everything in the universe came from nothing at a fixed point in the distant past. Okay, now looking at this at this level, it does not yet contradict the Bible. Don't forget that the Bible says in the beginning God created heaven and earth, right? Okay, so they also believe that everything in the universe came from nothing at a fixed point in the distant past. Now, um, one could think that you know, one could think erroneously that God, that belief in God is is, is anti science. No, no. Um, I believe strongly that if science is unbiased, okay, and fair and accurate, it will point us all to God. Okay, that if we actually take, you know, scientific procedures and principles with an unbiased and fair um, analysis, and it will, it, will, it will show us the work of a creator. So science on by itself is not um, anti-faith. We only have anti-faith atheistic scientists. And again, we also have believing Christian scientists. Okay, so science is not anti-faith. Now, I've heard about some scientists, okay, that, that actually began to believe in God. As they grew in their career. Now, the more they looked at it, the more they saw they are asked to be a god. This is not random. Okay. So I believe strongly that that would be the, the normal result of for, for a scientist that does a sincere search, not a biased search, okay, to prove or to, to expound his or her own bias. Okay, let's move on. 
So science says that everything came from nothing. So we also see that science agrees that the universe has a beginning. This is important. Genesis 1 says, in the beginning, God created. Okay. Science agrees also that the universe has a beginning. Science also says that everything came from nothing. Now, don't forget that we said in Hebrews 11, 3, that, we, that you know, by faith we understand that the universe was formed at God's command. So that what is seen was not made out of what is visible. So that, that, that presupposes that God made everything out of nothing just by speaking it. Important, okay? Now, when we say everything and nothing, you know, these terms, they might seem self-explanatory, self, um, but they are not really not. So we have, to, we have to define what we mean by everything. Now, when we say everything that came from nothing, we mean the everything. We mean space, time, and matter. Please listen, listen again. Space, time, and matter. Okay? They are part of everything. Space is something. Space, empty space, is something. Time is something. And of course, matter is something. So when we say everything, we mean that if you know the universe is made up of is made up of space, time, and matter. Okay. Now this space, time, and matter, you know, they are the they are everything also that came from nothing. So space is a thing, time is a thing, and of course, matter is a thing. So we are saying that you know um, science says the the Big Bang created space, created you know, um, time and matter. Are you getting me? So that you know, all these things came to be, you know, from nothing at a fixed point in the distant past. This is important. Please follow me, okay? Now, almost everyone, I'm, I'm quoting, I'm quoting Stephen, Stephen Hawking. Almost everyone now believes that the universe and time itself had a beginning at the big bang okay now we know for sure that for there to be a big bang you know, said earlier in february for there to be a big bang there has to be a big banger because everything has to have a cause okay there must be a cause things do just happen things are made to happen you get my point here Things are made to happen. Now, when we see how vast the universe is, could it have actually caused itself to come into existence? Okay? Or, must there be first a cause of all space, time, and matter? This is the point. That something must have caused space, time, and matter to come into being. Okay, whatever caused space and matter to come into being, if I can try to just come into being, there must actually be something behind the coming into being of space, time, and matter. For there to be a for there to be a effect, there has to be a cause. That is that, that, that's a general law for science. Okay, so we must then begin to wonder what then caused 
um, universe to come into being. What what created space, created time, and made matter. Now again, for anything to make space, that thing cannot be space. You get because space cannot create itself. For anything to create time, that thing must be outside of time. For anything to make matter, that must also be out of the extent of matter. Because otherwise, how did it come to be? I get my point here. So, so whatever cost space, time, and matter must be non-spatial, must be atemporal, must be immaterial. Do you get that? Now, when we see this, now this fits how we describe God. Eternal stays out of time. You know, his spirit is immaterial. Do you get? So, whatever made space, time, and matter must be non spatial, must be atemporal, and must be immaterial. And those things fit how we describe the God of the Bible, Yahweh. Are you getting it? Whatever caused creation must be outside of creation. Okay? Must be outside of creation. So, it makes more sense to believe that there was a big banger, God, that banged space, time, and matter into being. That's just thing that just, just happened. What happened? It just happened, okay? It makes more sense. It points more to, to a creator. Is that good? So, we go further to talk about the fine-tuning of the universe. The fine-tuning of our universe. Now, the way our universe is, is set up, okay, every little detail, every little factor, okay, you know I would say all things being equal, yeah? All those things that are being equal, okay, for the world to be in existence. Um, they are so fine-tuned to the smallest detail that, you know, it can only be, you know, such factors that if you change a tiny um, percentage, not a percentage, a tiny little thing out of those factors, the world, the universe will be inhabitable for human life. It will cease to be. Okay, it is so detailed to the smallest factors that it, it, is, it is hard to just say it is random and accidental. Now, when you have several factors that have to be a particular um, specific, specific um, value and quantity for something to happen, then it will be very, very hard to say it was coincidental and it just came to be. Are you getting me? It's like saying you want to make just pardon me, I'm, I want to use beans as an example. You want to make you want to cook sweet beans. Okay? You have to put a particular quality quantity of salt. You know, with a with a particular quantity of beans. Abby? A particular quantity of um, of of um of red oil of, of palm oil. Now, so it means that for those for the beans that actually come to be in the way you want it, you have to have specific um, items at specific ratios and quantities to get it done. Now that now that, that's even small. 
the kind of factors are looking about, they are so tiny that it could not have been just there like that. I will explain further. Okay. I'm quoting a physicist now, Paul Davids, the popular physicist, and he's, he's not even a he's agnostic, he's not a believer. He says, everyone agrees that the universe looks as if it was designed for life. Again, everyone agrees that the universe looks at it as if it was designed for life. That's very important. Okay, I would also quote um, philosopher John Leslie. He says, it looks as if our universe is spectacularly fine-tuned for life. By this, I mean only that it looks as if small changes in each universe's basic features would have made life's evolution impossible. Hmm. So this means that the foundational laws of nature are so amazingly fine-tuned that there's very, very little room for alteration. The smallest modifications of these laws would completely destroy the possibility of life in the universe. Now, I'm going to say Stephen Hawking. He says, you know, the laws of physics appear fine-tuned in a sense that if they were altered, by only modest amount, the universe will be qualitatively different and in many cases unsuitable for the development of life. This is important. It just means that, okay, all those little factors that come into being, each of them had to be so fine-tuned to the smallest 0.0.0.0.0.0 to the billionth point 0.1. You get that kind of stuff, 0, 1, that kind of stuff. So that if there's a small change happening there, Life would be impossible on the earth. Now, some sometimes scientists like like Hawking, they may call it coincidences, but we know that you know uh, we don't we don't ever have so many coincidences happening at the same time to make something awesome happen. Am I clear there? Awesome. So let, let, let me say it even further. Okay, the universe appears fine-tuned such that little change in the constants and proportions of nuclear force, the electromagnetic force, and you know, gravity between planets etc. As little as ten as one in ten raised to power forty and life on Earth would be impossible. I'll take it again. The constant and proportions of nuclear force, the electromagnetic force gravity and all that as little as one if a change a little change as little as one okay in 10 raised to the power 40 life on earth would be impossible now i'm quoting philosopher robin collins please listen very carefully imagine stretch, stretching a major a measuring tape across the entire known universe again imagine stretching a measuring tape across the entire known universe now imagine one particular mark on the tape represents the correct 
degree of gravitational force required to create the universe we have. If this mark were moved more than an inch from where it is on a measuring tape spanning the entire universe, the outside gravitational force will prevent our universe from coming into existence. You get that. I'll, I'll explain it. So imagine that we use in your measuring tape, um, measuring tape, I used to measure, okay? That would now use, you now take your measuring tape around the whole universe, okay? We used to, to mark the whole universe, okay? And that a mark, you know, we make a mark on it. And that particular mark, you know, is the measure of the gravitational force that requires for an universe to, to be in existence, okay? It says, if we move that mark an extra inch from where it is on that measuring tape, life on Earth would be impossible. Are you getting me? Okay. And another, another person, um, John Jefferson Davids. He says, imagine trying to fire a bullet at a one-inch target on the... Imagine trying to fire a bullet at a one-inch one target on the other side of the, of the observable universe. Okay? The accuracy required to come to a fit is one in 10 per 60. Imagine that. Okay, so look at that. They are close to the point of 1 in 10 raised to power 60. If a small change happens there, you know, is life on planet Earth and universe will be impossible. Now it shows you how fine-tuned these figures are. If a small change happens in these figures, the universe will, will cease to exist, will not be possible to exist. So that shows again the work of an intelligent designer. I'll copy that again and paste on the group, on the on the micellar chart. Are you following me? There's plenty of grammar, so I have to just type them out so you can all you can all get it. Okay, now huge Ross also has a similar analogy. Okay, he says, imagine comparing the universe to an aircraft carrier, an aircraft carrier. Okay, if this carrier were as fine-tuned as the immensity of our universe, subtracting a billion, look at this, of a trillion, please they come again, subtracting a billion of a trillion, of the mass of an electron from the total mass of the aircraft carrier, you know, would sink the ship. See, see what I'm talking about? It says a billionth of a trillionth change in the mass of an electron and the, the, the entire universe would not be able to hold, we cease to exist. Again, it shows you the level of tiny details that had to come into being for the world to exist. Again, these things are too detailed to be 
random. They are, you know, they show the work of an intelligent designer. Look at this. I'm quoting another, another, another physicist, um, Michio, Mark, Michio Kaku. It is shocking to find how many of the familiar constants of the universe lie within a very narrow band that makes life possible. If a single one of these accidents, imagine the cause accidents, were uttered, stars would never form. The universe would fly apart. DNA would not exist. Life as we know it would be impossible. Earth would flip over or freeze and so on. Do you see that? I'll take it again. I'm quoting Michio Kaku, a theoretical physicist. He says, it is shocking to find how many of the familiar constants of the universe lie within a very narrow band that makes life possible. If a single one of these accidents were uttered, look at him, first accidents, stars would never form. The universe would fly apart. DNA would not exist. Life as we know it would be impossible. Earth will flip over and freeze and so on. Now this is the question I have. Can all these several constants and factors, as many as they are, could they all have been accidents? Is that possible? Could they all have been accidents? No. So they show the work of an intelligent designer. These things could not have been random. They are, you know, it shows that there exists a creator. Awesome. I've never seen an accident, okay, that has several factors come together to produce something as practical, you know, as meaningful as the universe. So that shows the work of an intelligent designer. Going further. Now we also see even much more in biology, okay? We see in DNA especially, okay, that you know DNA says in DNA we know all life is built on building blocks of protein. Please follow me carefully. I know it's a lot of science and grammar, but it's good. All life is built on building blocks of proteins. Proteins are generated in ribosomes. Ribosomes are made with proteins. Look at that. So life is made up of proteins, okay? Proteins are generated in ribosomes. Ribosomes are also made up are made of made, made of proteins. So we, we now ask this question: which came first? Okay, ribosomes or protein? Again, we are seeing, you know, the complexity and the detailedness of the creation of everything. Okay, so we know, we know this, this is a lot of grammatical thinking, but let, let's just follow me, okay? Follow me step by step. Okay, now the DNA of man in humans contains as many as 10 billion atoms. 10 billion atoms, okay? And, you know, they are made up of, you know, the adenine, guanine, cytosine, and all that in DNA, okay? They are linked in a particular order, okay, to form genetic code containing the master plan for every organism. This, 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 this is the English, okay? The way DNA is formed, the particular order of the sequencing is so detailed that, you know, again, 
a small change in DNA would alter it massively. Do you get? So, the information here, you know, is not random. It is so detailed that, you know, if a small change in DNA happens, you know, the, the entire um, human, the entire um, human, or whatever, whatever it is, the animal, the plant, will, will be totally, seriously altered. Okay, I'm going forward. Now, DNA, you know, we, we, we say it's apobetics. And they say, I'll, I'll write that down in um, on the on the Mixed-LR discussion so we can better understand it, okay? DNA is apobetics. It is the highest level information, okay? Yeah, the requests are made with, are made expecting response. Such that, a small change in the DNA sequence will result in massive changes in the outcome in the whatever being is you know we are talking about. For example, I want an example that um, that J that J Wana Wallace gave. Says for example, when we say let's eat, look at this, let us eat, comma grandpa, let us eat, comma grandpa, and let's eat grandpa without the comma. That small come out took off, okay, as a very big change in the meaning. Small changes in DNA have dramatic results in meaning. Now, we also know from experience and from science that, again, I put that on the group chat so we can follow it, okay? There's a lot of talk. Now, we also know from experience that information only comes from intelligent sources. Information only comes from intelligent sources. In fact, we don't know any other source, any any other information that, that just came from just came from anywhere. Okay, information comes from intelligent sources. So it now begs the question: How did information in DNA come about? Is it possible that that is an accident? Or happened by chance, you know, those arguments will make zero sense. Okay, say it just happened, it just came by chance. Can we find an algorithm or a natural law that can create such level of information? Are we, are we, are we getting that? Are we following? Okay, if there are billions of information contained in the DNA, billions of many information in the DNA. That, that communicates to create, you know, to create a protein, that communicates to create, you know, organisms and cells and all that. Is it possible that those DNA information are just random, that they just came into being? No. Okay, so it points to the work of an intelligent designer that created the, that created the algorithm, the code, okay, to make, you know, DNA possible and to use DNA to create, you know, you know um, life as we know it, okay? Am I, am I communicating? So the chance, you know, to say it was created by chance, you know, will be, will be um, improbable. You know, we don't know any chemical or physical laws that can work to, to, to that can work together to produce such level of information without there being an intelligent designer behind it. Are we following? So it is, of course, you know, it points much more, much more to the work of a designer. In fact, the more the more technical something is, the more we know there was an intelligent mind behind it. 
For example, you look at wristwatches and all that, have the work and all that. Now, when we look at those things, it's not just random, okay? Some of us sat together to create a wristwatch. Now, how much more the human life, the life of a plant, life of an animal, the level of information that came together to form that, form that kind of life, you know, is so detailed, to, 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 it's so there to the T, such that it has to be the work of a intelligent design. Okay, it all points to the existence of God. Awesome. Even when, when you look at when, when you just open it and just look at animals, look at the way one barks, you know, one meows, you know, one ups, one rats, you know, it is too, you know, it's it's it is just too detailed to be random. Okay, it all points to the work of a creator. Okay, that's important. Going forward, so when we see all these complexities, you know, um, the cellular systems, you know, and and all that again, it points to a vastly intelligent and sophisticated designer. Let me, let me read some things for us to to further engage this. Human artifacts, like watches, are products of intelligent design. I'm quoting. William William um, William Pali, okay. The first made this argument for design, okay. Please follow me. Human artifacts like watches are products of intelligent design. Biological systems and cellular micro machines resemble human artifacts. Again, biological systems and cellular micro machines resemble human artifacts. It is reasonable to conclude, therefore. That biological systems and cellular micro machines are the product of intelligent design. Okay, but we also know that biological systems and cellular micro, micro machines are vastly more complex and more sophisticated than human artifacts. So we can therefore conclude reasonably that the designer, the designer that made such biological systems and cellular micro machines must be vastly more intelligent and sophisticated than any human designer. Okay, God is vastly more intelligent and sophisticated than any human designer. So, so if, if we can see his torches and see our farms, the light bulbs, the teeth and all that, and we'll see those things were designed to be what they are. How much more biological systems and micro machines, as in those micro and all that, the level of detail at work in it. How much more would it be the work of an intelligent designer? Okay, if TVs were made and not just didn't just drop, okay, if lights, bulbs are made, fans are made, watches are made, phones are made, and they are made with so much detail and design, okay, and we know that microorganisms in biological systems they are much more complex than that. We can therefore not conclude, we can't assume that they just came to be or something. They are obviously the work of an intelligent designer is that good is that good so god is therefore the most reasonable candidate for the intelligent designer responsible for biological systems and cellular micro machines so you come to this question at this level of complexity that we'll see in microorganisms and all that could they now be the work of chance 
you know, or physical law or intelligent agency. So see, without even giving more thought, that it is obviously you, you, you can't call it chance or just physical law coming to play. Okay, they look much more like the work of intelligent agency. Okay, so anyone that says otherwise would have to explain to us how these things came to be. Okay, the text, the text, everyone must, must be able to, we, we all have a burden of explanation to do that we share. Okay, they must tell us why they say the world as it is, cellular microorganisms and all that, how they came to be, they must show us, okay, and it must make sense. The best way it makes sense is to say that for anything complex, sophisticated, someone designed, someone created, not much more, something as complex as the world we live in, and then, um, you know, humans, plants, animals, and all that, they are the work of intelligent agency, God. Is that good? So, I'll just take a few quotes and then I would wrap this up. Purposeful, intentional designs are always the creative products of purposeful, intelligent designers. If we find such design features in biology, God is the most reasonable explanation. Again, purposeful, intentional designs are always the creative product of purposeful, intelligent designers. If we find such design features in biology, God is the most reasonable explanation. Final quote. Intelligent design is the work of an intelligent designer. The more intelligent design is, the more intelligent you can assume the designer is. Again, intelligent design is the work of an intelligent designer. The more intelligent the design is, the more intelligent we can assume that the designer is. And all this points to God. Okay? Where we can see various evidences, okay, that points to God, it will then, you know, be more be more intellectual, okay, and make more sense to actually agree that there must be a God that makes this to happen. Rather than, rather than just say it came to be, it happened by chance, it just banned it to be and all that, okay? So it, it actually, you know, it makes more reasonable um, conclusion to say there is a God that to say these things just came into be or you know they happen by chance or you know they just happen stuff like that okay we have questions was that clear enough it felt like a lot to say was that clear enough clear enough questions clear enough you have questions Do we have questions? Any question? Okay. I'm waiting.
Okay, let's just thank God for what we have learned. Um, we ask for grace to 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 grow this knowledge, okay? To know how to ask questions and where to get answers from, okay? Yeah, just pray for understanding that we grow this knowledge, okay? We grow in this knowledge. We know more and more about these things and we are rooted and grounded, you know, in truth. And we are able to convince and teach others. Okay, we are able to convince and teach others and to make reasonable argument for the things we believe in. Father, we give you all the praise. We thank you. In Jesus' name we have prayed. Amen. Thank you so much, guys. See you on Sunday. Thank you for listening to this message. We are very sure you're edified. If you would love to partner with our ministry in giving, please visit our website at www.thisgreenchurch.org and click on the giving link. God bless you.